Good morning, Chapel Street. Good morning, Chapel Street Online as well. Um, I invite you to turn uh, with me to Colossians and chapter 2. We'll be reading from verse 16 through to verse 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If, with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, desire, Lord, to uh, sit at your feet this morning and hear from you. I pray, Lord, that the words that I speak today would not be mine but yours, that you would teach, rebuke, correct, and train us, help us to see the sufficiency of Christ. Um, the necessity of Christ. Um, and I pray that, that we would leave here changed today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 2018, uh, the Teru Museum, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Elm, France, uh, was planning a grand reopening to showcase some uh, 140 works of art by the artist Etienne Teru. And during the preparation for that grand reopening, uh, one of the curators, a guest curator, noticed that one of the artworks contained buildings that were constructed after the artist's death in 1922. The museum concerned launched an investigation and subsequently confirmed that the painting was a fake. The um, investigation also went on to conclude that out of the 140 works of art in the museum, 82 were not by the original artist. The city launched formal complaints about the event, but a police investigation yielded no results as to the source of the forgery. We live in an age of counterfeits, of cheap lookalikes. Uh, we can get uh, fake sports clothes, fake Rolex watches, fake jewelry, fake leather, fake trees and plants. Uh, all of them are usually at a cheaper price. Um, our family shops at Aldi and um, you'll notice everywhere on the shelves, um, fake brands, brands that have a similar 
look, a similar name, a similar packaging, but the substance itself is very different. And if you're like me, you might be tempted to think, well, what's, what's the difference? What does it really matter? If something is cheaper and almost the same, then why not choose that option? But while this might make sense with jewellery and with sports clothes, uh, it doesn't work the same way with Christianity. In our uh, walk with Christ, when it comes to matters of salvation and the reality of whether or not we have fellowship with God, a cheap lookalike will never do. The difference is of the highest consequence. And as we look at God's word this morning, it's uh, my prayer that, that we would see uh, the danger of, of veering anywhere away from um, the true gospel. In our text this morning, um, Paul is addressing the spiritual counterfeits um, occurring in Colossae. We spoke before of the false teachers threatening the church and the concern that this has brought Epaphras. In verse 8 of chapter 2, Paul exhorted the church to uh, not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That is according to the human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world. He knows that the world, the flesh, and the devil uh, will be trying to pull us away from Christ, that it's their goal for us not to be looking to him. Paul then reminds the believers um, that he has, that God has circumcised their hearts, verse 11, that he has united them with Christ, verse 12, and then lest that they forget the immensity of the reality that's going on here, Paul reminds them of the resurrection. That is, um, that Christ, uh, in, our, in what I would say is the greatest ever demonstration of his power, not only defeated, but publicly humiliated all of his en enemies. And in his grace, he simultaneously redeemed all of those who have faith in him. And that brings us then to verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, if you've just read the previous passage, this might seem a bit anticlimactic. Um, Paul's argument seemed to be escalating in, in different levels of glory, getting greater and greater and greater and then the therefore is followed by something about food and drink something about a, a sabbath and a full uh, new moon we've gone from christ as the supreme king of the universe to minute questions of what food we eat but don't be fooled there is as much spiritual significance and importance in this verse as there was in the ones to come it once previously to explain what he's talking about paul gives us an image a shadow and its substance you see in verse 17 these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to christ if you can use your imagination try picturing christ standing before you clearly and in full view and Paul is pointing out that Christ is there and, and behind him, 
there is faintly a shadow trailing uh, behind Christ. And uh, if you've got the option between those two and you want to get to know the real thing, do you go to the substance or to the shadow? The answer is you go to the substance. You go to the real thing. Christ is the one who um, nailed our sin to the cross and has given us the promise of eternal life. Rules and shadows cannot do this. The shadow is not the real thing. It only provides an outline of the real thing. It is, its only purpose is to point us toward the, the real thing, which is Christ. And what we need to understand this morning and as Christians is that while th some things do well in pointing us to Christ, and the law is a primary example of that, um, those things must never be treated as Christ or as our Savior. They are not ends in themselves. And if we require those things, those shadows, for our salvation, then we end up losing Christ altogether. So those, uh, that's, um, that verse, the substance and the shadow will be the, the basis for our um, passage, uh, our sermon this morning. We'll look firstly at the shadow. Now, when Paul's referring to the shadow, he is essentially referring to a list of rules or regulations that were uh, pressed upon the Colossian church, but taken directly from the Old Testament. Uh, we see the general areas of those regulations in verse 16, but more detail is given in verse 18. Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So there are a number, number of things here, visions, um, worship of angels, but the most important of these, I think, to address is the asceticism, because it comes up twice, not just here in verse 18, but also in verse 21. It's obviously a, a big part of what Paul's trying to get at. Asceticism is the severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of self-indulgence. It usually exists in a religious setting and uh, it comes about, I think, as an attempt to fill the hole or the gap that is left by sin. Really, it's just a man-made remedy to a guilty conscience. So when the false teachers demand that the Colossian church refrain from eating this or drinking that, this is a form of asceticism. We know that Jesus dealt with this in Matthew 15, verse 11, when he said, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth of a person that defiles him, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And the same would also go for strict observance of festival days. In Romans 14, verse 5, Paul said, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. You might also think of, of the Pharisees. Um, Paul refers to the Pharisees as the strictest sect of the Jewish religion. 
um, and they didn't just obey laws. Um, they heaped up laws on top of laws until they weren't even just um, regulating the food that they ate, but also the way in which they ate that food. It was a massive focus on cleanliness. And yet at the same time, they completely missed God. They missed the gospel. So that's what was going on. The Colossian church is being pressed uh, to accept rules and regulations as a requirement to be Christian. And part of the reason um, that I think these shadows were beginning to take uh, gain traction was due to the deceptiveness of the argument. It looked like a sound, even biblical argument. Uh, while it might sound crazy to us, um, the shadows in Colossae were not overly, uh, overtly pagan or idolatrous. Rather, they, they, they came from the Old Testament and probably sounded something like this. Um, in Deuteronomy 14, God commanded us, uh, his people, not to eat certain animals. We know that you believe in Jesus and we're glad about that and that you count yourself as one of his people. But God's people don't eat this. And then it's laid up as a requirement for you to be a Christian. And so it's understandable that the Christians at Colossae would, would have struggled with this. There's a, there's a biblical command. It, it's laid out as something that is required for God's people. And as a result of that, the false teachers are making distinctions. They're disqualifying um, the people in the church on the basis of this. But Paul doesn't only say that they're wrong in response to this. He also proves it by pointing to their fruit. We read uh, in Jude last week that um, uh, Jude, Jude um, was making a distinction between um, the sheep, the flock, those who have to contend for the faith, and the false teachers who came in um, and followed their sensuality. We also read in First uh, Timothy um, chapter 6, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. We see that in verse 18 of our text. And he understands nothing. Paul continues to say to Timothy, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. And the same thing was happening in the Colossian church. False teachers were coming in and making distinctions um, and disqualifying based on these requirements. They were causing friction. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. Again, we see that in verse 11 of our text. And so there's this uh, big emphasis, I think, as well, not only on the, uh, the incorrectness of this message, but 
the fruit that verifies that incorrectness. That Jesus says uh, God's people will bear fruit. John requires, and when he's preaching, that um, people repent and bear fruit. And uh, the fruit that's on these trees of the false teachers is not a good one. It's bad fruit. Um, finally, and most perhaps most disturbingly, of um, the signs of the bad fruit in the false teachers uh, is in verse 18, where the false teachers are requiring worship of angels. And not only this, is a, this isn't just an accident, um, like we see in, in Revelation when Paul uh, falls at the feet of an angel, um, they're insisting on a worship of angels. They're taking worship away from Christ and giving it to angels. The church that follows these false teachers is a twisted and a chaotic and unbiblical place to be. It's fleshly, it's worldly, and despite looking spiritual, it's completely unspiritual. The hope of this church is also man-centered. And so that leads Paul to ask the question in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? In other words, uh, regulations can't lead to eternal life um, because our sin just brings condemnation through that law. Only a fulfilled law can give salvation. And Paul is saying here, I thought you chose Christ. You can't get to heaven relying on rules. It's like having the choice between two paths. And if you can use your imagination again, um, one path is very well um, paved path um, it's a very easy one to walk on and it leads straight to heaven and the second path um, is a bed of lava just say one is the law the lava the other is grace through christ and having begun on the the good path the true path the false teachers are now asking the church to move to works, move to the law, move to the lava. And God is saying to us that we can choose the way that we get to heaven or we can we attempt to get to heaven. If we choose grace, then things will work out and we will um, get to heaven. Our sin will be paid for. But if we choose the law, then our sin has to be punished. If we choose the law, there is no sacrifice for sin. And our tendency um, is, well, it, we are often tempted to, to choose the law because there's something inside us that tells us it's just not possible to um, have salvation through Christ alone. Surely we must need Christ and something else. Surely I have to add something of my own. And Paul is reiterating what we already know that there is only one road to heaven we can't add anything from ourselves john owen 
put it like this. It is true, our works and grace are opposed in the matter of justification as utterly inconsistent. If it be works, it is not of grace. And if it is of grace, it is not of works. So why, says Paul, why is the question? Why would you turn back to a law that you cannot satisfy? He says, no, Christ freed you from that law so that you died to the regulations and you became alive to Christ. You became alive to the path of grace and you were then walking on that path. And one final thing, um, just to say before moving on to the substance, is that this is a question of submission. We'll read that in verse 20 as well. Um, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? That word uh, submit is uh, indicative of embracing um, a submission to regulations rather than a submission to Christ and his perfect work. And as pious as it might sound to say, I'm submitting to the law, really it ultimately just means you're submitting to sin. Um, in Romans 7, this might help, Paul says, what shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And he says in verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved death to me. This is a reminder this morning that the law is deceptive. The law doesn't bring life. Don't submit yourself to the law. It only ends in death. The man who puts his trust in Christ plus works will be abruptly confronted on the day that he meets God to find that he hasn't, um, hasn't received salvation. And then secondly, I will look at the substance. In contrast to the shadow, uh, we're told that the substance belongs to Christ. The error of the false teachers is not only what they're embracing, but also in what they're leaving behind. They were more interested in the shadow than in the person, in the substance of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. After reading the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. As believers in Christ, we know that God has made us to be part of the body of Christ. And we rejoice in that. And Paul is saying here that that means holding fast to the head. None of us are very acquainted with seeing bodies severed from their heads. It would be a very strange sight if someone walked in today without a head. If we are connected to the head in a spiritual sense, then we can be sure that we are part of the body. 
And if we have lost connection to the head, um, that is evidence that we are no longer part of the body. And that is exactly what the false teachers did when they embraced um, laws as the basis or part basis of their justification. But look at what Paul says about the head. Firstly, it gives nourishment, literally to supply or provide. This is a, a promise as much as it is a stated fact um, in, yeah, in which healthy body do we see an arm or a leg or a foot not getting the supply, uh, physical supply that it needs? Christ's body um, is a healthy one and those who are connected to him will never be lacking. All the fullness of um, deity, we read in verse 9, dwells in Christ um, purely, perfectly. But to be without him is, as it were, to be cut off from the life support. Christ is, is our life. Secondly, um, knit together. The head knits the members of the body together. Um, when we're looking to Christ fully and we're not distracted by the shadows, then unity in the church becomes much easier. Um, forgiveness becomes easier. becomes easier to love. Um, becomes easier to remain humble. Humility increases. Love abounds. Forgiveness is less of a burden, uh, more of a delight. Because when we see Christ, we see all of those things on display toward us, don't we? We could say that this is the flip side of the bad fruit of the false teachers. They bring dissension, envy, quarreling, or connection to the head brings unity, brings peace forgiveness and love. And finally, the head brings growth. And it's not the sort of grit your teeth, try as hard as you can growth or uh, obeying God by checklist growth. Um, we should expect growth as believers, but it's um, a different sort of growth than um, simply ticking a box. As Christians, um, the way we view growth should be um, that the people of God become a, a confessional people. That is that we, we see greater manifestation of God's glory. And then in response to that, we see the greatness of our sin. And in response to that, there's repentance. So we're and confession. And so we're continually repenting of our sin, turning away from it and turning to God. But the the emphasis on, on that growth, on that obedience is never perfection, but progress. And this is what was recovered during the, the Reformation. Prior to the Reformation, um, the Catholic Church would teach that those who are most holy are the monks and nuns who decided to take vows of celibacy which is asceticism and trying really hard to separate themselves from the world and following lots of rules 
or someone like Martin Luther comes along and says, no, the, the Christian life is, is entirely one of repentance. And so um, here I, I think it's worth speaking into the, the use of the law as Christians. We, on one side, when we look at the shadows, we have to push that away and say, no, we, we can't trust in that. Christ is sufficient for our salvation. But it's all equally true that if Christ is sufficient for us, then we'll seek to obey him. And we'll grow in our obedience to him. We will repent and we will follow him. <clears throat> the substance always brings growth. This isn't a lawless void that Christ calls us into. As we see in scripture, James says that faith without works is dead. Jesus says that the tree is known by its fruit. And God himself in Leviticus says, be holy as I am holy. And it's quoted, I think, in Hebrews. And so it's clear that we need to be growing. And so the question is, what's the difference? How do I know if I am growing in the right way or if I'm checklist growing? And the answer is the connection to the head. We come back to is Christ seeing greater manifestations of his glory, the, the impetus, the, the cause for your growing, or are you just trying to grit your teeth and, and get into it? And so in, in all of these things, the nourishment being knit together and in the growth, um, we see that Christ, not rules, but Christ is God's religion. We see that rules are man's religion, but Christ is God's religion. And so to close, just a few points of application. And the underlying one between all of these is guard your freedom. Guard your freedom. is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't return to the law. It's true um, as we see in scripture that it's it seems to be possible for someone who calls themselves a Christian to return to the shadows. Um, we know that um, those who are saved never lose their salvation. Um, but in, in a sense, it's possible for someone to move to the shadows and then lose their salvation. Um, so first point of application is that we need to be sticking with the Bible, sticking with the Bible. That means dwelling in God's word, reading it every day, um, reading it consistently, reading it in order, um, and doing this so that our understanding of God and our love for God is always growing, not diminishing. The subtlety of counterfeits are always very deceitful because they use religious words and Christian phrases to dress up lies. And so we need to be in the Bible, understanding what is true and what is not. So stick with your Bible. Secondly, um, give up on human wisdom. I was reminded as I was preparing of First Corinthians, where uh, Paul says that by means of human wisdom, no one has 
ever known God. God has made foolish the wisdom of the wise. Um, and, and we see in our, our text this morning that these arguments in verse 23 had the appearance of wisdom. So if it's the appearance of wisdom that's going to sway us, then we can go anywhere that, that, that people tell us to go. It's remaining steadfast in the um, biblical argument that, that keeps us firmly rooted in Christ. So give up on human wisdom. Secondly, oh, sorry, thirdly, be careful not to make too much of rules. Not make too much of rules. Where rules are big and Christ is small, and then this doctrine of Christ plus works can take a hold of us very quickly. When we have a, a big view of Christ and what how, how necessary he is and how sufficient he is, then, then we won't move into this shadow. Fourthly, remember that some false teachers actually do believe in what they're saying. Um, it's possible that the false teachers at Colossae really were trying to help, really were saying, I think this is it. And so not just basing our discernment on sincerity, but on truth. And that again comes back to reading the word. And lastly, um, but above all, lean into Christ. Have communion with him by prayer, by reading. Always be seeking to stoke the affection, the fire of your affection for Christ. It's um, when we have a, a love for him that we won't want to let him go, even if the argument is persuasive. And we... Remember, we do not share a man-made religion. This is a supernatural. Every every aspect of what we've done here this morning, every aspect of our Christian lives uh, that we live at home, at work, um, they're supernatural. And so there needs to be a supernatural connection. There needs to be a connection to the head that brings this, the nourishment, the uh, the knitting together and the growth that we need to be healthy. And so, um, the final question to you is, are you, are you choosing the substance? Uh, are you holding to the head? Um, is he your delight? Um, or are you looking to the shadows? If the shadows are tempting, turn away. Don't look to them. They can never give what we think they can. They always um, let us down. And so I'll pray for us to that end and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for speaking through your word. A brief word this morning, but a word that we need to hear of the sufficiency of your son's sacrifice. Lord, um, sometimes... The smallness of food and drink, of uh, festivals and other things that we put on our checklists makes us think that it's okay to rely on them. But Lord, we want to be obedient to your word. We want to rely on you. We know that there is life and salvation given in no other name than under Christ. 
And so, Lord, we, we commit ourselves to you. We entrust that you are the one who will help us to persevere to the end. We pray that you would hold us fast. You would help us to, to love you above all else, to be discerning, to see truth from error, and to help each other to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.